It's time for Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM. Okay, I'd like to welcome back to Moment of Truth someone that hasn't been on the show for a while, but it sure is a pleasure to have him back on. Sol Mamakwa is the NDP MPP for Kiwetanung, and that is, of course, in northern Ontario. He's on the show talking about a couple of things. One, he wants to raise and get the point out about what the Ford government needs to do to provide First Nations and local health officials to get the COVID-19 situation under control in the communities. And so we're going to talk to him about that. But also, uh, Saul had his vaccine the other day, and he did that very publicly to raise awareness awareness for people in communities, because apparently there has been a slow uptake of people uh, wanting to get that vaccine, and he's trying to curb that lack of trust around the vaccine, and, and is it effective? So, Saul, welcome, and Ani, Sego, welcome to the show. Yeah, Bujo, uh David. I'm very glad to be back on your show. It's been a while, and I know under the pandemic, we haven't been able to connect in person, but yeah, it's good to be back here. And it's a pleasure, like I say, to have you back on the show. So, I, I know that uh, we received a release from your office talking about how the Ford government needs to provide First Nations local health uh, teams with every resource needed to contain COVID-19 that is now spread to five communities. So before we talk about the five, you can tell us about the five communities, but if you don't mind, for people that don't know about the area that we're talking about, about where you you are situated in uh, Kiwetanung, can you tell us about that area? Yeah, so uh, the riding in Kuwait Nung is uh, uh, consists of about forty-one First Nations, and thirty-four of those are uh, uh, fly-in communities. Mm. It's a size of uh, two hundred ninety-four square squared kilometers, and that goes into uh, Hudson's Bay and mm. also the uh, the Manitoba border. So mm. it's a very unique riding, and I represent uh, it uh, represents about seventy uh, percent uh, Indigenous communities, and uh, so it's a high populated area of First Nation communities, and uh, it's a unique riding, and it's not like uh, you know. Uh, so again, I to- I spoke about the flying communities, and mm-hmm. it's really uh, actually it's twenty four flying communities that are there, so not thirty four, but yeah, it's a unique riding, and um, you know, uh, three language groups, uh, of course, uh, uh, Ojibwe, Oji Cree, and also uh, Cree. So I'm Oji Cree, so I'm able to speak my language when I'm up there. So it's a very unique riding, and uh, <laughs> when we talk about uh, healthcare system, and one of the things I uh, uh, you know, like as a provincial member of parliament, uh, trying to deal with the, uh, you know, uh, uh, the, sh- the needs of the community, whether it's healthcare, like for example, it's uh, health services, access to the health system, access to equitable healthcare. And the north is very difficult when you're trying to work with the pro- with the province when this govern with this government. Mm. They play the game of uh, ping pong, on you know, on the, on these issues, whether mm. it's services, whether it's infrastructure, health infrastructure, whether it's, uh, you know, nursing services, uh, whether it's physician services, you know, uh, and uh, even, uh, you know, access to basic human rights as mm. clean drinking water. Mm. So, and uh, so that's one of the things I face is uh, the jurisdictional uh, ping pong on the, you know, they play, play, play that game on the health and the lives of the people that are living in Ontario. 
because we're you know communities are on reserve because uh you know they're first nations and it's the, the province treats us as if we do not matter mm-hmm. and i think that's uh and, and i think that's uh, why uh you know uh, when we talk about uh you know uh, uh like say uh ford government to uh, this conservative government to respond to the crisis that's happening and uh you know, when we talk about uh, surge capacity of nursing services, mm. that needs to that's need that needs to happen, and also like when we do like say for example a testing of COVID cases, if uh, if there's a uh, contact tracing that needs to happen, we cannot wait for scheduled flights to pick up the testing. We need to be able to fly out those testing uh, those tests, and then uh, so they can they get the results as soon as possible. But we have also have to understand too, like uh, because uh, uh, these are communities that are flying communities uh, with no access to roads. Mm-hmm. You know, we're in a unique perspective where they can easily lock down. And I think that's uh, you know, like uh, I'm just saying that because you know we're trying to picture, you know, paint a picture of where things are at and uh, where things are at with that. And it's it's a really uh, uh, it really helps, uh, you know. Uh, uh, you know, uh, but that's the work that needs to be done is a quick response and uh, more nursing services. And, you know, like when we, because uh, sometimes if we're too focused on COVID-19 pandemic in the communities, we forget the other acute uh, uh, nursing ser- acute care that's required, you know, like whether it's uh, diabetes, whether it's uh, the chronic disease that happened, or whether it's the mental health, because, you know, uh, we cannot continue to have these uh, uh, uh needless that's uh, unnecessary suffering in our communities you know like a simple thing as a dentist you know mm. what happens when they you know when somebody has a toothache it's not like you can just uh, easily uh, uh, run to the dentist here and drive down and you know uh, dentists are scheduled only like uh, you know two three four times depending on the size of the community yeah. you know like those are some of the things that we need to be able to provide these services to so yeah and we cannot say that we're there advocating for the communities by reaching out to the federal government. That's not a response. That's just uh, another way of saying, no, we're not helping you, but mm. we're, we're going to do this. And, uh, mm-hmm. and I think uh, when we do that, uh, people pay, you know, with their lives. Mm. People pay with their health. You know, when we... Uh, people pay in full actually with their lives and, 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 and like when we continue to play that that game of uh, jurisdictional ping pong right and that's not acceptable anymore in this day and age you know this is Ontario this is Canada this is uh, 2021 and we cannot you know we cannot continue continue to uh, uh, to have these uh, decisions uh, continue to go that route and uh, we cannot uh, make fiscal decisions based you know, by, you know, because it's going to cost this many, this much resources. We like sometimes these decisions are uh, fiscally driven decisions. Mm. People pay it full with their lives. Right. Uh, so when you say the, the jurisdictional ping pong game, you're talking about going back between the, the federal and provincial government on, on these things. Is that what's. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, anything like, uh, you know, anything uh, like that's why I mentioned about the First Nation reserves, uh, First Nation communities, yeah. uh, First Nation, na- these nations that are uh, provided by, uh, you know, like, with, like say my home, com- like I was in Muskrat Dam uh, mm. a couple of days ago, uh, mm. yesterday, and uh, pretty much. Uh, 
uh, the programs and services that are there, whether it's healthcare, uh, whether it's education, it's all federally funded. So anything on reserve, um, you know, that programs and services infrastructure that's funded, it's all federal, right? Mm. And that's what I mean by we like, and that's the jurisdictional thing, anything on reserve, like, you know, the province doesn't want to pay. And uh, and I faced that the same thing with uh, when I uh, did the what when I, when we were de- dealing with the uh, the the water crisis in the Scandaga mm. and uh, you know like uh, that's one of the things that we faced we were faced with the uh, uh, you know like uh, uh, the province the you know province of Ontario not wanting to become part of the solution mm-hmm. uh, and and uh, because of that jurisdiction thing that the, like. You see my questions and whatever uh, issues that I bring up at the provincial legislature, and mm-hmm. uh, you know that's that's their uh, responses. You know, okay, we're talking to the federal government, right? In terms of the Ford government, in terms of the Ontario government, you said you wanted to to get them to you know uh, take some action. Have you reached out, and what kind of response have you had at this point? You know, uh, uh, as part of the rollout, uh, I tried to reach out, uh, see uh, what the response is, and uh, there hasn't no been response. But I know uh, they're working with, uh, uh, you know, uh, other organizations, uh, First Nation organizations that, that, you know, like. But I'm not included in the rollout in the mm. plans of it. And, mm. You know, like it's uh, even though, like I think the work that we're doing with the pandemic uh, sometimes. Uh, I think these should be nonpartisan issues, but uh, it, sometimes it becomes very partisan, eh? And mm. uh, you know, like the, they want to be, uh, I guess, uh, you know, be the ones that you know. Even though we serve the same people, like say, for example, uh, in our territory, and uh, so it's. Uh, I think that this COVID nineteen pandemic, uh, you know, like uh, especially the the health and the wellness of uh, the First Nation communities uh, or the people in my in the riding of Kuwaituga. You know, we should be working together towards, uh, you know, how do we work with these and make sure that there's a, a quick response and make sure that there's a, uh, you know, uh, I mean, I think certainly Orange is doing a good job on the rollout of the vaccines. Mm-hmm. And uh, I can see how, uh, you know, how we see the when we work together and uh, how, how much uh, we can accomplish. Uh, Saul, so, you know, you, you were asked to go and get a vaccine. And you were asked to get a vaccine uh, by a couple of people to, I guess, bring that, try try to, uh, I guess, get people to understand that the vaccine is safe. And I wanted to ask you about, um, you know, your getting that. First of all, how are you feeling now that you've had the shot? You know, it's been about maybe 48 hours Mm -hmm. um, uh, since I got my shot. Mm -hmm. And... um, I feel great. I feel good. Um, you know, uh, last night I kind of felt something in my arm. It wasn't pain. It wasn't hurting, but I could feel something, but that, that, mm-hmm. that's all I felt. Mm-hmm. And uh, other than that, uh, I feel good. And, uh, it was an honor to be there with the community of Muskrat Dam. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, we had been talking for about a couple of weeks and, uh, you know, possibly doing this and, uh, and uh, about a week before, like a, about a week ago, and uh, they had approved me to come to the community, and uh, and and the letter that they provided me was basically, you know, like <laughs> we want you to take the vaccine. With right. That's pretty right. much what they said to me. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, they were, uh, I know, uh, uh, they were uh, very, uh, you know, uh, this community is very uh, uh, pro-vaccine, and they at that time. Uh, Based on the feedback that they had, they had sixty uh, percent of the uh, mm. uh, of the community members that were eligible to be vaccinated uh, 
had signed up. So even though they're pra, uh, pro vaccine, still they were at 60, 65 percent. And right. um, you know, just imagine that other communities that are not uh, that are not mm. the, uh, that are not part of it. And one of the things too that happened too, along with uh, I got a, another note, another letter that came from uh, Sulakot First Nations Health Authority, and uh, they're responsible for the. Uh, the community well-being public health program in the north and uh, these public health doctors you know supported that i be there because again uh and that's one of the things that they're uh, faced with uh, in the north is uh of course the uh, uh the hesitancy of uh taking the vaccine and uh the the numbers are uh so i think uh yeah it's uh so i took part in uh in their uh kind of like uh, public education mm. uh public uh, public, uh, you know, uh, health campaign, mm -hmm. you know, to, you know, uh, to combat the vaccine hesitancy in First Nation communities by, and by publicly getting this, uh, publicly getting this shot. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you get a request from the community leaders, public health leaders, uh, you know, and that's my way of supporting and uh, supporting them mm. and uh, to make sure that, uh, uh, you know that it's uh, extremely important for uh, for our communities, our elders, our youth, our residents to take the vaccine because yeah, I, one of the things is I wanted to get the First Nations, uh, you know, families, communities, elders to know uh, that I trust in, in the vaccine, I trust in the science, and that that it, that and that it's safe. And uh, it's uh, I think it's uh, like for me, it's. Uh, could be used as a shield against the virus and uh you know and the more of us that uh, that get vaccinated uh, uh it's a uh it's a way we of uh, protecting ourselves you know mm. it's a way of protecting our languages right so uh, protecting the, our way of life our traditions yeah. you know for you know to thrive sure in future Generations, right? You're listening to Moment of Truth on Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. That's 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa, and anywhere across the country. If you download the Radio Player Canada app and type in 106.5 ELMNTFM or 95.7 ELMNTFM, and then listen on your device of choice 24 hours a day. We'd also like to welcome our listeners on other radio stations that are also carrying the show, and of course, anywhere online and right around the world. My guest here on Moment of Truth is Saul Mamakwa, NDP MPP for Kuwetening. Saul got the vaccination on February 1st as a way to try and encourage others from the North to do the same thing, and a way to bolster the confidence in the vaccine as well at the beginning i was kind of hesitant and then just on the optics of it like you know like, but i think once i seen the letters once i seen the uh on their rationale on why they wanted me there i i knew i had to be there and, uh, right. and you know i think uh, not not uh and then of course i had to follow their uh, uh they have their covid protocols i had to follow those mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. and uh, on the day of uh, the vaccination and um um uh, when I went up to the vaccination site, and uh, you know, they, the, you know, uh, the teams were there, uh, the support people, the, the community leadership, the elders, and the, and uh, the, uh, and also the, they, they were all there, and uh, Orange was there, the vaccination team, they were all there, and, and one of the things that they did was uh, they did the blessing, 
mm. the, of the vaccines. Mm. And I was given an opportunity to speak by the chief and he spoke and then uh, they had uh, the blessing of the vaccines. And that's when I knew that I made the right call. Right. And it just it was just so powerful. It was just so moving on why why they do it and why why they want to mm. why they wanted to have me there. Right. And it was an experience just to be part of that, and uh, it was an honor to be uh, be asked by Muskrat Dam to be part of it. And and then the second thing that happened as I and uh, so uh, one of the things that happened is you register. It took about fifty minutes to register. You have to fill this form out, and then. And then now, uh, and then once you go into the, the vaccination room area, yeah, they do your test or uh, the temperature test. You stand there, mm, they mm. do the temperature test, and then you go into the vaccination room and you stand in line. And then there's about five, six tables that they have, and next thing's open. And uh, uh, I went after the chief, and uh, you know I got vaccinated after the chief, and uh, so I sat there, and uh, you know uh, uh, the doctor there uh, asked me. Uh, asked me some questions and another doctor came to me and he said to me, he said, you know what? He said, are you MPP Mamako? I said, yeah. And uh, this is an orange doctor and uh, uh, orange is the, the one that uh, provides uh, medical emergency transportation. If there's a using fixed wing aircrafts in the okay. North, like because mm-hmm. we don't have 911, we don't have <clears throat> emergency right. rooms in the North. So you have to fly in for emergency. But anyway, this guy is an orange doctor and he works, I think, in, I think he said Barry. But uh, he's a physician in Barry. But he says, uh, when he told me, he said to me, he said, you know what, MPP Marco, I'm so glad you're doing this. I'm, I'm so glad you're doing this with the community because it's going to send a message that, you know, uh, more people will come and more people will get vaccinated because of what you're doing. Mm. And personally, he said, I've worked with, uh, you know, uh, COVID-19 patients directly uh, in Barry, and uh, I see how they suffer. And I don't want to see Indigenous people in the North suffer like that mm. and that's when i knew you know what I, i'm here for a reason and you know mm. like uh that was not uh you know uh that was uh you know i knew i was making the right decision and uh mm. so yeah so it's uh okay I mean, people don't understand that like you know i you know uh, i made sure i uh you know played it safe i made sure that you know like i was doing the you know like it just felt right like mm. and i knew i made the right decision and uh just before you called, I was on a call with another chief that they're getting vaccinated uh, next week. Mm. And uh, so, because he's checking up on me. How are you feeling? <laughs> right. How how they go? You know, mm. like, you know that he's checking mm. up on me, mm. one of the leaders, uh, you mm. know, and and then, uh, but uh, like, so, so uh, he's going to touch base again this afternoon and uh, touch base with me this afternoon. And, and what he said to me was, you know what? Like I know you got your vaccination, but it would be good to for you to be here when we get vaccinated next mm. week. Mm. Great. So, well, that sounds like it's uh, it's having that uh, kind of an effect that you want. That you, you know your your vaccination is reaching out and and um, perhaps encouraging those people that had doubts about this to possibly come forward and get that vaccination. And that's needed, uh, Saul, because and I appreciate you sharing that story. By the way, thank you, and uh, and 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 Jimmy Gretch for that, but. Um, can you tell us something about the the, the uh, communities themselves? I mean, the reason you started this and and first of all made that um, the desire to get the the government on board and do something about this was because the the COVID nineteen is in the communities now. How how are the communities doing as far as uh, cases? 
you know, uh, as of uh, yesterday, and uh, they know there were have uh, there were six cases in the uh, First Nation communities, and I think they're doing the work. Uh, I I reached out to the First Nations leadership, and uh, you know they're doing their uh, 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 management of it. Uh, they're doing well. Uh, you know, when we talk about contact tracing, they're doing it and mm. sending it out, sending out as soon as possible the <clears throat> test and trying to figure out how it's coming up. Coming, but yeah, it's uh, and I think that's one of the things that we need to be able to do is um, you know, make sure we that makes let them know that we're here, uh, let mm. them know that uh, you know, we need to stop playing the jurisdictional things that right. we you know, games of uh, ping pong on that right. on the lives of people. So I think uh, uh, I know uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, flying communities, otherwise, I think they call it remote. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, like I know uh, the uptake is uh, a bit low right now, but uh, some communities are fairly high. And uh, but there are also like some drive-in First Nations that are hit with COVID nineteen, and uh, they're asking for vaccines. Mm. And I think that's uh, we need to be able to, uh, you know, like. But I think one of the things that why they uh, the federal government decided on uh, the priority number one for flying communities is is the lack of access to healthcare services mm. that, and also the overcrowding in the homes mm-hmm. and uh, you mm-hmm. know, acts, lack of access to clean drinking water. Yep. There's so many variables that are, that are there, like so many things that uh, yeah. are very, uh, uh, that, that we don't think about, but yeah, but I think overall they're doing well. But, and uh, one of the things that's happening too, is that the, the winter roads, the ice roads are opening up in the North and, uh, you know, some people come down for their essential travel, like whether mm. it's vehicle maintenance, whether right. it's uh, uh, shopping for their uh, you know, uh, uh, supplies or whatever. Right. Like I know that's one of the things that's happening. And uh, even though it's locked down, but still like that, like, uh, like I know uh, we do go to grocery store here. Uh, we do go to go to the gas station. Mm-hmm. We go to, you know, maintain our, uh, do the work, do the essential stuff. Mm-hmm. And then uh, even though they're up north, they still have to do that, right? Sure, so sure. They're starting to do their essential stuff as well. So right. I think things are coming along. Uh, the, the winter road uh, season, the ice road season is, you know, uh, is finally opening up. And uh, that's a bit later than usual. Mm. Uh, I guess because of the warm weather, climate change. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, uh, uh, yeah. So uh, we're keeping our hopes up and uh, with the communities up north. And uh, I try to touch base with the leadership on uh, the work that they're doing. And uh, again, uh, uh, again, uh, being uh, a flying communities or uh, otherwise sometimes referred as remote, but it could be a, a surprise. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a positive. Right. So the other thing about the vaccination and the fact that you got this to try to boost people to come forward and get the vaccination and around the mistrust, of course, there's general mistrust in, you know, in some people around the vaccine. But on First Nations, uh, that's doubled just because of the history with uh, with Canada and residential schools and that whole mistrust that has been built up over generations. Would you agree? You know, uh, I think uh, certainly I would agree uh, 100%. Uh, the mistrust of the healthcare system, the mistrust of the residential school system, the mistrust of the way we've been treated with the child welfare system. And uh, there's a mistrust and uh, uh, we have to understand, uh, you know, uh, we ha- we've been treated uh, in a way that, uh, you know, you should not be treating a human being. Mm. And I think that's where the the trust that there's been always been a lack of trust in the uh, in government uh, in governments and uh, no matter and then I think uh, 
and I think that's where it comes from. It's a very uh, a long-standing issue. It's a very uh, uh, historic issue, and um, you know, and I think uh, that's why there's mistrust there, and that's one of the things that we're trying to do with this. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, the more like I know, uh, uh, you know, the more uh, people we talk to, the more the more we talk about it uh, as First Nations uh, leaders, and you know how you know then that's where we're trying to go and i think that's kind of you know when we talk about uh, there's a lot of things that have you know government has treated uh, indigenous people across the country uh, and not only that in uh, northern ontario as well and uh, that are you know that would have never been allowed mm. anywhere else mm-hmm. in, uh, in the world and in, uh, in the in the country and this province uh, so the historical trauma yeah you know that's happened in the the uh, and that's that's why it's uh, that's why it's like that, and that's why there's a mistrust in that the yeah. system. So, yeah. But having said that, that mistrust, we need to also understand that this is a worldwide pandemic. That this is not something that is just happening here. It's all around the world. So this vaccine, much like other vaccines that have been produced, um, certainly new technology has been used to produce these new vaccines. But it is a way to protect. Uh, you, your community, your family, your your members, you brought this up as well about the uh, elders and the language and the knowledge keepers uh, to help preserve that for generations to come as well through through this uh, to keep these people healthy. Yes, uh, that's certainly true, uh, David. Uh, I know that's uh, the message I've been trying to provide and uh, certainly uh, and when we talk about uh, what uh, what's available to the communities, uh, and here in Northern Ontario, the flying communities, and um, you know, the, sometimes I share the information of, uh, you know, that there's a delay in delivery mm-hmm. of vaccines in uh, Canada, mm-hmm. and then uh, even in Ontario, and uh, even uh, when we look at it globally, especially from the uh, European Union, like uh, I seen a few days ago, whereby they were limiting the export of the vaccines because they want to do it within their countries first. So mm-hmm. I know World Health Organizations uh, had, uh, you know, made comments about that, that they didn't really uh, uh, understand why they were doing that. But I think uh, when we have to kind of think about things as uh, globally as well, because it's a global pandemic. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think to the up and kind of try to, uh, talk about it from the uptake from uh, you know the First Nations that are there. It's an opportunity for them to end this pandemic, uh, end this uh, uh, you know end this pandemic, and but also just to you know make sure that our uh, uh, you know that our people are safe and uh, and our communities and that and that's always very uh, every every time I talk to people and that's what I, uh, I provide that message with mm. and uh, make sure that they are you know you know it's to protect ourselves yeah it's to protect our loved ones it's to slow down the virus right but ultimately and help end the pandemic and that's yeah. and that's the messaging i've been providing right Asal, it's been a pleasure having you on the show and we want to thank you for coming back on and, and taking the time to join us uh, chimiguech for joining us on the show all right miigwech for having me okay take care and that is the voice of Salma Makwa. He is the NDP MPP for Kiwetanung. And it's been a pleasure to have him on the show talking about the fact that he got the vaccine and the fact that he is trying to promote uh, people in the North to take the vaccine.
I am your host, David Moses. Thank you for listening to Moment of Truth each and every day right here on Element FM, 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa. And of course, you can also listen on our SoundCloud. You can also listen to our previously recorded interviews on your favorite podcasting platforms. And that is this part of the program. We want to thank you for listening. Don't go away. We'll be right back with more here on Moment of Truth. Now back to Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM. All right. This is Moment of Truth. And you are listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa. Anywhere across the country, if you download the Radio Player Canada app, type in one of those two coordinates as well as E-L-M-N-T-F-M and then listen on your device of choice 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We would also like to welcome those people listening on other radio stations to the show. We thank you for listening. And we also thank those people that are listening online through one of your favorite podcast platforms and or online at our website at elementfm.ca. It is also a pleasure for me to welcome to the show someone I have known for quite some time, Ms. Lisa Venivri, and we are here to talk to her about a new podcast she has going on, and it is called The Road to Your Name. She's the program coordinator. She works with Aboriginal Legal Services. So, Lisa Sago, welcome to the show. Sago, David, it's so great to be here on radio. I haven't been on radio in a long time. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been a long time since we've had a, even a, a, just a, a conversation in general. I think of the fact that, you know, we used to share office space in the Woodland Cultural Center at one point. And, yeah. uh, you know, that's all gone by the wayside, of course. But it's great to see what they're doing over there, you know, getting that place uh redone and uh, fixed up and and hopefully will reopen as as a museum as it as they hope to do yeah i can't wait for that i haven't been over to see the the renovations they've Mm. done so far but but i hear it's going along really well and um yeah i can't wait to see it as when it opens up so lisa i know that you've been working with aboriginal legal services for a number of years now you were working there when we were in the woodland cultural center and we were talking, you had ideas, I think, in this regard at that point about trying to do some kind of a, a radio show or a podcast. Was it, is that right? Well, it could be because I am always filled with lots of ideas. <laughs> <laughs> some come to fruition, some not, but I'm always putting ideas out there. So it is very possible that I had this idea way back then. And now it's it's here. I'm doing it. Yeah. So and it's wonderful. Congratulations on that. Now let's let's talk a little bit about the the podcast, how it came about. But first of all, for those people that aren't familiar with Aboriginal Legal Services, can you tell us something about that? And I know there's a Toronto, maybe that's the head office, but but there's also a Brantford office, which is where you work out of. Yeah, we have offices all over Ontario, actually, and. Okay. And um, Aboriginal Legal Services is an organization that offers um, legal services, of course, to to Indigenous people. Um, They have um, court workers, they have a community council, they have staff lawyers um, who do such things as intervene in in cases um, across the province. And, um, you know, they help in... um, landlord tenant um, situations, things like that. 
Um, and they do a lot of work in the courtrooms across um, Ontario in um, Gladue. They write um, the mm. Gladue reports for oh, the yeah. courts. And they have aftercare, um, Gladue aftercare workers all across the province. <laughs> and um, yeah, they do they do quite a lot of things there. How long have they been around? Oh my gosh, um, I would say um, 30 years or mm. more. So you stick with these clients right through the whole process from start to finish with them? Yes. Um, yeah, through the justice system, you know, some people are um, are put into the justice system and they have no experience. Mm. Um, so it's really difficult when you have no experience in the foreign system, it's really difficult to navigate it. Yeah, well, the legal system uh, is quite the system. Um, you know, they just the writing that is used, the jargon that is used, and how things are interpreted uh, is complicated enough on its own. Would you not agree? Oh, yes. The laws are are so complicated, the Canadian laws. And, and when you're not used to that, and you're not used to the language that they use um, and the procedures that they use, it can be a very um, confusing and scary place. Uh, yeah, and very stressful, I imagine. Yeah. Sure. Well, that's that's great. And so, as the you're the program coordinator for this this podcast, which, as I said, the English translation is the road to your name. And uh, I might butcher it uh, in the language. Would you like to translate that for us? Well, it's in the Mohawk language, okay. and I may not be that much better. <laughs> I'm I'm taking um, a lot of language. Um, lessons lately i've yeah. been i've been trying to relearn my language um the mohawk language for several years now but you know it's a difficult language yes. it's very complex i'm going to try it lisa oh try it david johante ne ga sena yeah almost yeah um, it, um yo because the accent's on the a mm. it's johante aha uh -huh. ne Gasuna. Aha, right. Yeah. There you go. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Jimmy Gwetchenyawa, first for that. Um, okay, so you've got the name. You started this this podcast. Now tell us why. Why did you want to start this? How does this tie in with legal services? It's an interesting mix. Well, when I started with Aboriginal Legal Services in 2011, I started as a Gladue writer. Okay. And so my experience from working in the courts and being a Gladue writer uh, made me realize that there was a lot of gaps going on there for our people. Okay. And one of them I identified was that um, people, our people were going through this system and for a variety of reasons, they were not connected or not as connected as they want it to be to their culture. Mm. So, um, you know, so identifying that and seeing that in a lot of clients, I thought, well, we should um, offer a program that would assist them if they wanted to um, strengthen their connection. Okay. And how would we do that? Well, we would do that through a 
in-person program, obviously, at that time. So this was like in 2017. And that's when we started the in-person program of um, Road to Your Name. Okay. And then we didn't start the podcast until the necessity of it it, last year. Mm. Yeah. And so you've got one season under under your belt already, and you've had uh, quite a few interesting guests on there. And and as you say, the name of the show is in the Mohawk language, and it says this described this podcast as that you examine the many aspects of the Haudenosaunee culture and teachings with a ri- wide range of guests, and we'll get into that a little bit. But the fact that you said you saw people coming in that were they didn't have that connection to their to their culture. Does this, this obviously ties into the bigger picture then, I guess, of residential school and that um, just that generational um, interference that, that was caused from the residential school system? Yeah, I call it an interruption. Mm. It was a huge interruption. Sure. And that's putting it that, lightly. Yeah, that's putting that means it lightly. we're, we're going to get back to it now. Mm. So you, you got this idea. Did you have to present this to your superiors? Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> okay, so what was that like? <laughs> However, it was it was an easy it, um, it was an easy sell you know, because because the the um, the proof was there mm. that this was very a much needed program that mm. could only help yes. and assist people in in beginning to learn or or continuing their learning. Mm. And it sounds also, Lisa, like this is. It's not only the connection to their culture and their heritage, but it it also sounds like it would be of benefit to them for the process that they are going through in the court system. Yeah, um, you know, in especially in um, in Brantford in two thousand and fourteen, the beginning of two thousand fourteen. We started a Indigenous Peoples Court there. Mm. And in that court, it's evolved over the years, but ne- but we incorporated in 2016 um, Indigenous um, knowledge helpers, we call them. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so we've had these knowledge helpers in this court um, for some time now, and their role is to is to help anyone who's going through the Indigenous Peoples Court with questions, you know, cultural questions. But they also f- facilitate the circles that happen there at sentencing time. Mm-hmm. And so, and so this this um, program, the program that we started with the Indigenous Knowledge Helpers, and the program that we started with um, the Road to Your Name. We incorporated the same Indigenous knowledge helpers okay. into our cultural program as well. Mm-hmm. So it's a continuation. Right. And so the people that they, um, they meet the Indigenous knowledge helpers in the court, if they're having a circle, and then they, they can come to the program and see them again. Right. Yeah. So from your, your first uh, season of these podcasts, and well, obviously you've been doing it in in other ways, as you just mentioned prior to the podcast even starting. This is just a way, I guess, of extending that and reaching out further. 
how have you found the relationships between some of the knowledge keepers and some of the people and and how has how have you been seeing a uh, this helping with with some of the clients well uh, I mean it's a lot of intangible things right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, they I mean when we were having the in-person program um, we would the sessions would be um, eight weeks twice okay. a week mm-hmm. so that's a lot of time to you know get to know someone um, over a course of an evening three hours over a course of eight weeks mm. so a lot of bonds were formed and um, you know if if the clients wanted to learn a specific thing then that's what we would do you know they didn't have to they could they could bring their ideas to the program as well mm-hmm. and so um you know and that's one of our our ways of of teaching too is is asking people what they want what they want to learn right and so we we tried to incorporate a lot of those ideas of our, our traditional ideas and so the participants really got to know um, the Indigenous Knowledge Helpers and, and myself as well, you know, mm-hmm. we really formed a, a bond through each each of our sessions that would we, that we would have during the year. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was, it was, I think, in some way um, comforting for them that they had consistency throughout their, their process. I, you know, I, they would see us at court. They would see us at the program, you know. Yeah, yeah. I bet. I bet it's, that would be, be very uh, comforting in in many ways. Yeah. So it's good to have consistency too when you're in a um, scary place. Yeah, absolutely. Um, is it focused only on the Haudenosaunee culture and teachings? Then is that is that what this will will be completely? Are you going to extend that at all? Well, when we had the pro the in person program, um, I would see I would get the participants for each session, and I would see you know were they Haudenosaunee, where were they from, hmm. and ultimately it was um, a lot were all Haudenosaunee. Hmm. So that's that um, said what we were going to learn, right? Right. But we do have um, Anishinaabe Indigenous Knowledge Helpers that come um, to mm. help us at the court. Mm-hmm. And one of them is on the podcast as well. Oh, nice. Yeah. Well, that's good to hear. So then it's one thing to do this in person, like you said, and support people in the room and have, uh, you know, somewhere they, they can sit and talk and learn. This is going out now to the world. This is going beyond. It's a podcast, right? So um, yes. how would you say maybe the audience is changing or, or what, what was your focus in terms of the audience or who were you trying to reach with the podcast? Well, the idea was to still um, be true to what we what our program is mm. in um, offering Haudenosaunee teachings. And and so it would be, you know, who wants to learn about Haudenosaunee mm. culture, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm sure there's some non-Indigenous people that are interested in doing that as well. Sure. 
Yeah. So, so basically, you know, that's what, that's what we're doing. We, we, um, we know that the podcast is going like everywhere. Any, anyone who wants to sit and listen. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to mention something about that in terms of law in a moment, but I want to let everyone know that you're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa, 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa, anywhere across the country on the Radio Player Canada app, as well as uh, you can listen on your favorite podcast platform online. And uh, we want to welcome all those people that are listening on other radio stations that are carrying the show. So welcome to you all. Uh, Lisa, my guest is, is Lisa Vinivri. She is the program coordinator for a, a, a podcast that has now been started. It is called The Road to Your Name. And in the English language, it is translated from the Mohawk language. And it is a, a program that has been started by Aboriginal Legal Services. Lisa is the host of the show, and she has many guests on uh, from the Haudenosaunee community to talk about culture and teachings. And she's had a wide range of guests. Some of those guests have included, uh, let's see, we've had, uh, I'm just looking down the list. Well, you've had Jan Longboat on. You've had uh, Pauline Ashert. You've had Gilbert Smith, Sally Webster. Uh, You've had uh, quite a number of people, Alex Jacobs and... uh, so uh, how how has that been going, Lisa? How have your guests been interpreting what you've been doing and and what do they think about this program? Well, we've had um, let me see. We've had Jan Gahadia Longboat. I believe she was our first guest mm. um, on the first episode. Um, Jan is a is a elder a Mohawk elder at an indigenous knowledge helper at Six Nations. And she has she has um, I mean she could do a, a wide variety of different podcasts on different topics. <laughs> she could. <laughs> but, uh, because she has so much knowledge on, on yeah. a lot of different things. But with this podcast she talked mainly about seeds. Mm. Because she um, has an herbal um, an herbal farm at her at her place at Six Nations, mm-hmm. and has wonderful gardens she's had for years there, and she makes medicine for the community. Mm-hmm. So she has a, a depth of knowledge about seeds. So she talked about seeds, and it was really interesting um, to hear some of her knowledge mm-hmm. i mean we just got a, a glimpse of it in in the time we spent with her but but still you know i'd like to have her on again oh yeah we we've had her on this show as well and it's a pleasure to have jan on anytime as you know she's she's great to have on as a guest and talk to yeah and then we i think our second episode was talking about e and johnson now, mm. E. Pauline Johnson, um, we did this this subject in our in in person um, programs as well. Mm. And E. Pauline Johnson, she was my neighbor for many years. I lived next door to her. A fine found her a fascinating person. She's quite famous from mm. our community, mm-hmm. a poetess. And so Janet Marie Rogers, who's a um, poet. She came on, and and she's very passionate about Pauline as well. So we had a conversation about Pauline. Right. Yeah. 
And then we have these are these episodes I'm talking about now are all released. Yes. So you can find them now. All the episodes aren't released as of yet, but these are. Um, we had on um, Elizabeth Dockstader, and she owns everything Cornhuska uh, shop in the mm. village of Ashwigan. Right. And she talked about the books that she's written and also, um, you know, her her um, making of Cornhusk dolls. She's she's quite knowledgeable as well in in um, our stories, the creation story. We talked a little bit about that. And, yeah, it was a really interesting conversation. I think you had Frank Miller, too, didn't you? Yeah, Deja Hande, yeah. Uh, Frank Miller. I call him Deja Hande. Yep. Yeah, that's his, that's his traditional name. Yep. Um, he was on and he talked about um, the Thanksgiving address. Mm. And he went really in detail about the Thanksgiving address. Mm-hmm. And he also talked about um, Sky World stories, the creation story and Sky World stories. Yeah. And um, he's um, Deha Hande is part of our Indigenous Knowledge Helpers that work in the court as well, and so is Jan. Mm, right. So yeah, um, Deha Hande, you know, he's one of those people that he knows so much about a lot of different things in the Haudenosaunee civilization that that you could listen to him for like hours. <laughs> yes, you could. You, yeah. you could fill up the whole day with uh, him or Jan, uh, get them together and look out. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> you know, I have spent a lot of time listening to both of them for mm. hours and hours. And yeah. and it's amazing yeah. um, the the wealth of knowledge yeah. that they, they carry. It's true. But, you know, you've had some other great guests on here, too. I'll tell you who I've had on. Okay. I've had on Jan and um, Janet Marie Rogers and Elizabeth Doxeter, of course, and yep. Deja Hande we've talked about. And then the other guests I've had on have been Shelby Bombry. Yep. Um, Shelby talked about Discahe. Oh, yeah. Um, Tom Porter. Mm. I had a telephone conversation with Tom Porter because he's in New York State. And I I talked with Lori Gallant. Yes. And I talked with Carly Gallant yep. about Save the Evidence. Yep. And I talked with Peter Schuler. He's an Anishinaabe Indigenous Knowledge Keeper, um, also helps us in the court. Right. And so that's, I think that's all I've talked to so far. Okay. I'm going to talk to um, a knowledge keeper um, in Akwasasni next in a couple weeks in terms of what you were saying about you know this this knowledge that it could now be it's online so other people can look at it other people can access it regardless of where they are there's a couple of things that come to mind first of all is that for for people from six nations or Haudenosaunee background that no longer live in the community or maybe they weren't simply raised in the community and that could go right back to the idea of why you have even started this is that some of these people have not had that the benefit of learning that um, from either being raised on the reserve or from their own family history. Some Haudenosaunee members, as you know, live around the world now. They're, they're all over the place. So this could be something that they could access and, and actually listen to, and it might benefit them. But, you know, uh, a little while ago, we had a, 
a, a lawyer from Alberta on the show, and he was talking about how now, uh, through this organization in Alberta, uh, all lawyers in that are working in the the province of Alberta are going to have to start learning uh, Indigenous co- uh, culture knowledge and and get themselves up to speed on treaties and get themselves up to speed on, on a number of things that have to do with Indigenous communities, the nations, a great way for that initiative to take place. And it reminds me of, of this. It's something that could be, in many ways, uh, help, with, help with building those relationships and making uh, us uh, help understand each other better. Oh, for sure. And, you know, that was one of the um, gaps I, when I was talking about gaps in the in the court system. That was one of the gaps I, I um, became aware of as well, is the knowledge that um, the lawyers that were representing our people, you know, they could benefit from this. Mm. And so we would when the Indigenous People's Court started, we would have um, we would have workshops for them that they could come and learn a little bit. And then when Yohat de Negosunha in-person program began, we even had a couple lawyers um, attend our program mm. because they wanted to learn. And so, yeah, now that it's a podcast, um, I'm sure, you know, it's a great opportunity for them to listen. Yeah. And, and Lisa, where can people find this online? Well, people can find it where they find their podcasts. Right. Hopefully it's all over the place now, but it's on. It's definitely on Apple Podcasts. Okay, and it's on Spotify, and, it, and it's on Google Podcasts, I believe. Okay, and so you can look up the Road to Your Name podcast, yep. and we have a really exciting little logo that goes with our podcast that was designed by an Indigenous person here. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, and, and Lisa, um, the does the show air weekly? There, the um, episodes are being released. I believe Tuesday at eight a.m. every week until the end of March. Okay. So we have about four of them out so far, mm-hmm. and um, we have ten in this series. Okay, and that's uh, and and you're going to be doing more. Yes, we've started on our second season already. Congratulations. Yes. That's good news. It's good to hear. <laughs> Lisa, anything else you think we haven't touched on that you feel is important to mention just before we uh, end our conversation? Well, I'd like to invite the um, people who are listening to check out our our organization. Um, you can find it at aboriginallegal.ca, mm-hmm. and we're a nonprofit organization. And also, to um, when you check out the podcast, and if you like the podcast, just leave a little... Um, rating i think they have ratings right. and you su- you can subscribe to it as well that would be that would be really good right lisa it's so nice to hear your voice i want to say uh, and Jimmy Gwetch for offering this to the show it was great to hear from you it's a wonderful program congratulations to you and aboriginal legal services for starting this and it sounds like it's going to be of benefit to a lot of people so uh, so yeah nyawa Oh, Noah, David, it's so nice to hear your voice again, and and I miss our visits. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Me too. Absolutely. Well, one day soon, Lisa, one day soon. 
Yes, Onagiwahi. <laughs> Ona. Thanks again. That's Lisa Vinivri. She is the program coordinator and host of the show, The Road to Your Name, which, as she said, you can catch it online on your favorite podcast platform. And they are going to be releasing those weekly. There's about four online now. It is called The Road to Your Name. So check that out. It's been a pleasure talking with Lisa about this podcast that they got started that focuses on Haudenosaunee culture and teachings and has a wide variety of guests that they are going to be presenting to you, their listeners. And that is our show for today. Thank you for listening to Moment of Truth each and every day right here on Element FM and or on another radio station that happens to be carrying Moment of Truth. We thank you for listening. And tomorrow coming up on the show, I can tell you that we're going to have... A couple of professors. We're going to be talking to Professor Scott Lucas about a clear message from Joe Biden, as well as Associate Professor Daniel McNeil talking about restoring the soul of Biden's America. That's coming up tomorrow right here on Moment of Truth. We'll see you then. This has been Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM.